Good morning, Hillcrest. Good morning to everyone who is joining us online on various platforms, those of us who are worshiping live with us today. So thankful for uh, all of our worship leaders who led us in worshiping our God this morning. I'm eager to get into the word with you. As uh, Pastor Brad mentioned, um, Pastor Jim is at our Spanish Trail campus preaching live there today. And so I have the privilege to be with you in, in the word this morning. Um, uh, Considering the basic truths that we believe, using the Apostles' Creed as um, our template. Um, we've covered so much coming up to this point, and we'll look today at the, at the belief of the Holy Spirit. If you're following along, you may notice something that's left out. So we, if you were with us last week, Pastor Heath Wilson preached regarding uh, the ascension of Christ but we, we're leaving something out, and it's the return of Christ. Um, Hurricane Sally messed up our schedule just a little bit, but if you are interested, I have good news for you. Pastor Jim recently preached um, a whole series on end times and eschatology, which includes the return of Christ over the summer. And so June the 24th, he preached on the return of Christ. I commend that to you on YouTube or Facebook if you're interested in hearing teaching from our pastor about the return of Christ to go there. Uh, but for today, we'll continue on. Uh, in the series and looking at uh, the Apostles' Creed and phrases from it, this old and well-known beloved creed and what it means for us today in affirming our beliefs. And I just wanna say, we don't believe a creed for the creed's sake, amen? What we believe is the word of God. And so the Apostles' Creed is not written by the apostles, it's not why we call it that. We call it the Apostles' Creed and we use it as a helpful tool for us because it is consistent with what the New Testament teaches, what the apostles wrote. And namely, this is Christianity 101. We believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. And we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, God the Son. And today, we believe in God the Holy Spirit. And that is to say, fundamental to our beliefs, fundamental to what we believe is this idea of the Trinity, that God is one God in three persons. As we've been singing today, expressing our worship to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, even so, when we express our faith, we express faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the sad truth is that while there's great understanding regarding the person of the Father and of the Son, there's often great confusion and misunderstanding regarding the person of the Holy Spirit and his work. In fact, you may say that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is sometimes even marginalized or even ignored, as Francis Chan will say, the forgotten God. But make no mistake about it today, without question, we believe in the Holy Spirit, amen? And what we'll do is look at a text of scripture, uh, one place, there's so many places you can go to get a study of the Holy Spirit, but we'll look at what I would say is probably the most important single passage of scripture, and it's from the lips of our Lord himself, his teaching in the upper room discourse in John chapters uh, 14, 15, and 16 regarding the paraclete or the helper as we'll look at today. And so we'll spend some time here and, and look at a few other passages along the way. But to get us started, let's look at John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17 together. 
we'll read these couple of verses here and then we'll say some prayer for our time. And if you wouldn't mind, join me in standing as we read God's word together. It'll be on the screen. John 14, verses 16 and 17, the perfect word of our perfect God. Please give your attention to it. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We worship you. We love you. And God, how desperate we are to have you be active in our life. We want to see evidence of your work in our lives. Thank you so much that the fact that we're even here today is evidence of your grace. We're here by your name, standing in your grace, disciples of Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. And we just ask that in this moment you would sanctify us by your truth. You would guide us into all truth. You would teach us. God, I pray that I would decrease, that you may increase, that I would be brought to nothing, that Christ would be everything. And God, help us to be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Even in this moment, we pray this with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Do you? Amen? We have a lot to cover today, and so I'll give you kind of a where we're heading at the beginning. Suffice it to say, this is not exhaustive. I don't know if it's humanly possible to say everything there is to say about the Holy Spirit in, in, in one message, but we'll try to hit the essentials today, basically of his person and his work. Hopefully, we're just going to answer at least three questions for you today. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And then finally, what, what does that mean for you and I? And that last question, what does this mean for us, is, is what I might call the aim of applied theology. Anytime you're looking at beliefs, you're thinking about doctrine and theology. But man, we want not just to know what we believe, but we need to live it out. We need to understand the implications of our beliefs for our daily life. Not, no, not just knowing what we believe, but why we believe it and why it matters. And it's impossible to hit all of that in one sermon. And so if you, if you would... Uh, appease me for just a moment. I'm just going to pause the sermon tape and make a plug for growth groups. Anybody know what growth group is? Like, what's a growth group? I'm so glad you asked. Growth groups are small groups of disciples at Hillcrest who get together and they study focused topics for the purpose of growing in their walk with the Lord. Maybe they're being equipped with a skill like how to share your faith with someone. Or they're being taught doctrinal truth like the Apostles' Creed. We have a growth group that's going to be going through the Apostles' Creed if you're interested. Or there may be growth groups on trusting God and becoming more like Christ. And so there will be a whole host of growth groups starting this coming Wednesday. And I invite you, I strongly encourage you uh, to join one. In fact, at the end of our worship time today, right behind you in the worship center lobby in the Next Step Center, there will be growth group leaders there to greet you, answer any questions you have about growth groups, and you can even register right there on the spot for growth groups. So, time in, back to the sermon, all right. 
what we're looking at today in this text for the limited time that we have is what is known as the upper room discourse. So by the time we get to John 14, Jesus has obviously come into the world. He's done his ministry. He's taught his disciples. He spent three years with them. But he knows that his time with them is drawing to a close. And he says it to them. In fact, he begins this chapter saying, let not your hearts be troubled. He knows that the news that he is gonna depart, and not just depart, but leave in a very graphic and violent way is gonna be troubling to those disciples. And he responds to that need by giving help. We serve a God who gives help. Anybody need help today? Uh, 2020 um, is like a horror movie, is it not? Um, It's been troubling for me in many ways as I imagine it might be for you. We're just experiencing a lot of changes and issues in the world. And I would say, it's probably not a stretch to say, we need help. And so what we're gonna do today is look at two big ideas, one about the person of the Holy Spirit and some points from the scripture about the person of the Holy Spirit. And then one big idea about the work of the Holy Spirit and then some points about the work of the Holy Spirit there. And the first big idea is simply this. You need the helper. Maybe as we've been going through the events of this year, which is an unusual year, you've struggled with anxiety or depression. And you would say, I need help. I'm telling you, God is a God that gives help. Or maybe not just 2020 in an unusual circumstance, but maybe all the time. I need help to be the husband that God's called me to be or to be the wife that God's calls me to be. Or maybe you're saying, I need need help with parenting. I need help to be the disciple of Christ that he would have me to be. We need help, but aren't you glad that God is a God who gives help? Look at verse 16 of John 14, once again with me. These are the words of Christ to us. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give. Before we even get to the gift, can I just encourage you today that God always gives what we need? He's a giving God. Jesus did not say He might give, or perhaps if he's in a good mood, maybe he'll be willing to consider to give to you help. The Bible says, I'll ask the Father, and the Father will give you another helper, and that's good news. And this word helper, we'll talk about it a lot today. I'll continually refer to the Holy Spirit as the helper because that's what Jesus does in this passage. This is the Greek word parakletos. We may have heard it before. Uh, The transliteration into English is paraclete. The paraclete is what Jesus is using here. What is a paraclete? We've we've seen this word only one other place besides John's writing here in his Gospels. And it's also written by John in his first epistle. Let's look at it briefly. John says in 1 John 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. That's the word paraclete right there. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
And so that word advocate in this text is, is the same word that Jesus is using to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit, a paraclete. And it's just a compound word. Para meaning alongside or with. Kaleo meaning called. The paraclete is one who is called to be with you, called to come alongside you. That's what an advocate does as we've seen in 1 John chapter 2. But a paraclete in its basic form is one who is called to someone's aid. This is why the English Standard Version translates this word helper. I think it's a very appropriate translation. And that is exactly who Jesus is for us. He, he stands in our law place. Think of the legal language of advocate. When we're guilty as sin, as the phrase goes. And we stand before the Lord condemned. Aren't you glad we have an advocate with the Father? One called to come alongside us and represent us. And he pays for our sins with his own blood. Not only advocate, but this word has also been translated counselor. We need counsel, wisdom, someone to teach us in the way to go. The Holy Spirit certainly functions in that way. Or if you're reading a King James Bible, what's the word? Comforter. The Father will send you another comforter, one who will strengthen you in your hour of weakness, who will console you in difficult times. Certainly the paraclete is all of those things. And so that's the the imagery I want you to get when we talk about the helper. It's one who is called to come alongside you in your hour of need. And that preeminently is the work of Christ, as he says in 1 John 2. We have an advocate with the Father. But then Jesus uses in John chapter 14, I will pray to the Father and he will send you another, another helper. And so the first is Jesus, but the other, the another is the Holy Spirit. This is the helper that we will be talking about today, even the spirit of truth. And I'll say three things about the person of this helper to help us understand what the Bible is teaching us here. First thing, the helper is a person and not a force. You ever hear the phrase, may the force be with you? You ever hear that phrase? A popular phrase, no doubt, but not a very biblical phrase, right? And so when we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, don't think a force that comes to assist you in times of need, impersonal force. That is not what Jesus is teaching. And we'll see why that is the case here in just a moment. But it's important to note that it's not, the paraclete is not an impersonal force. The paraclete is not some warm, fuzzy feeling. The, the paraclete is not some power that overtakes you so that you're out of control. No, the helper that Jesus is teaching us about is a person, just like Jesus is a person. Look with me at verse 17 again, John 14, verse 17. Jesus says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Personal pronouns matter. Notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say, you, uh, you know it, 
it dwells with you, it will be in you. He doesn't say that. He says he. He will be with you. He will be in you. You know him. All I'm trying to tell you is the the person of the Holy Spirit, the helper that you receive is personal. This is very important. Think of the context. Jesus is leaving his disciples. He's been with them for three years. Imagine walking personally with Jesus Christ and then suddenly finding out he's gonna be violently taken away from you. And then imagine Jesus says, it's okay guys, I'm gonna give you a force that may help you sometimes. Or a power that will come upon you but not really be in you and with you. Or you'll have this warm, fuzzy feeling to encourage you when you're in your beds at night. No, Jesus' words to the disciples are that I'm going to send you him, the helper, who will be with you forever. A very personal teacher who will guide you into all truth. And this is why he says, another helper. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper just like Jesus. He is holy just like Jesus and almighty just like Jesus. He is wise just like Jesus is. He is everywhere present at all times just like Jesus. He is patient and loving and kind just like our Lord is. And he intercedes for us just like Jesus does. An impersonal force cannot comfort you the way Jesus does, and that's why he doesn't send you an impersonal force. He sends a very real person who is the helper. And so when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we're believing in a person just like Jesus. Next, the helper is God, equal with the Father and the son. Look at John 14, verse 26 with me, please. Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We see in this one verse, the Trinity at work. We worship as we've been singing today, one God and only one God and three persons. And in this passage, verse 26, we see that God the Holy Spirit is sent by God the Son, by God the Father, in the name of God the Son, rather. I hope y'all brought your theologian caps today because we're getting into some deep theology. Is that all right at Hillcrest Baptist Church? The Holy Spirit is equal in power and glory to God the Father and God the Son. And the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father is God and the Son is God. How do I know this? Y'all remember Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira? They had a piece of property and they didn't exactly tell the truth about that. Y'all remember this passage? Peter encounters them after they lied about it. And here's what he says. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To lie to who? the Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? Listen to this. You have not lied to men, but to God. Wait a minute. 
verse earlier, he says he lied to the Holy Spirit. Now he's saying he lied to God. Which one is it? Did he lie to the Holy Spirit or did he lie to God? Yes. <laughs> to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God because the Holy Spirit is God. And not only this passage, but several passages. One familiar one that we know of is Matthew 28, the Great Commission. The marching orders of the church as Jesus is getting ready to ascend. He says to his disciples, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, not names, name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that in just a little bit today. Praise the Lord. When you see someone go down and we pronounce the triune name, we're baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're proclaiming our faith in the three in one, our triune God. And so we see that he is God, but how is he distinct? We know that he is one with the Father and the Son, but how is he distinct? We know that he's co-eternal, but in what ways do we distinguish the Holy Spirit. And, and here's where I'm just going to make some statements and then we'll look at scripture, okay? Stay with me. Y'all with me? Amen? All right. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father. Y'all understand it? Y'all with me? Amen? Part of our responsibility is to preach sound doctrine. In fact, one of, the, one of the first things my wife asked me when we were starting to date was, do you believe in the Trinity? A very unusual question. And I said, yes. Uh, and here we are. Our faith, our faith in the Trinity is essential to our faith. And here's why. You may say, well, how does this affect my daily life? Understanding the Trinity undergirds our, our understanding of grace, this idea that God gives to us. We saw this earlier in the first verse that we looked at. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And primarily, as we're reading through scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit is a promised gift, which is the last point I'll make about the person of the Holy Spirit. The helper is the promised gift from the Father and the Son to believers. If we don't have any concept of distinguishing the persons, we don't understand this idea of a gift, a promise made and promise fulfilled. And this is what happens when we don't understand what God is saying to us about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26 of John 15. Let's get this verse together. The Bible says there, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth whom, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That is to say, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Y'all remember the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, where all the disciples were gathered in this room waiting for the promise of the Father as Jesus commanded them? And the Bible says as they were praying, there came something like a rushing mighty wind and it blew upon them and 
fire rested on them like tongues of fire. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages. Now, these were languages that are known to other people in other countries, but not to them. It would be similar to something today if we all of a sudden were filled with the Holy Spirit such that we could speak Portuguese and French and German and Spanish. They were speaking known languages to other people, but not to them. And you recall this, people didn't know what was going on. And so they said, those people are drunk. And Peter said in Acts chapter two, these are not drunken. No, the spirit is at work. And he goes on in verse 32 and 33 to say these words, Acts two verses 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. God, the Holy Spirit, is a gift poured out from the Father and the Son. This is amazing. Because you may come from a tradition where Even as a believer, you need to get something extra. You need a second work. And I'm just here to tell you, the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is to every single solitary believer. If you're here today and you're listening and you're a Christian, you've turned from your sins, you're trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. Spirit, Ephesians chapter one, look at it with me. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, look at what it says. In him that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is to say, the moment Anyone trusts Jesus for salvation, according to this text, they have the Holy Spirit. Is that good news for you today? This helper who is promised by Jesus to be with you forever, and we'll see his work in just a moment, but I'm saying already, you have the helper if you're a believer. And the Bible says also in Romans 8 verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So don't ever let anyone tell you that as a Christian, you, you may or may not have the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Romans 8 verse 9, you don't belong to Christ. And so we know these truths regarding the person of the Holy Spirit, but, but what does that mean for his work? And so we'll turn to that with another big idea regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just say this. It's a very important and maybe jarring phrase But here's the big idea. The spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. I can't take credit for that phrase. It's actually written by J.D. Greer, who's president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I heard it first and I thought, huh? Is that true? The spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Let's see if scripture backs that up. Verse seven of John 16. Jesus' words. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Wow. It's better. It's to our advantage. It's, it's, it's advantageous to us to have the Holy Spirit indwelling us rather than just having Jesus be physically present with us. Do you believe that? Oftentimes we go through this Christian journey. If you're anything like me, there have been times when you've just wanted to sit down next to Jesus and embrace him. And praise the Lord, one day we'll be able to do that. But we've longed for this physical tangible Christ and we don't have him yet and I want to encourage your faith in the helper to say that what Jesus promises to us in the gift of the Holy Spirit is something that's advantageous it's better for us and that's good news and so let's look finally at what what does the Holy Spirit do what does this helper do which is so advantageous to us. First, the helper convicts and converts sinners. Look at the very next verse that Jesus gives in verse eight, John 16, verse eight. He says, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What is conviction? Uh, conviction fundamentally is coming to a place of understanding guilt. <laughs> we live in a world that's averse to that. We ourselves are averse to that, are we not? We don't want anyone to put guilt upon us. Think of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. We know what they did in the Garden of Eden. And when God called the man on the carpet, Adam, where are you? Did you, did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to eat of? What did he say? Yes, Lord, I did. It was totally my fault. I submit to you. Did he do that? His first impulse was to point the finger. This woman you gave me, it's all her fault. If she wouldn't have given it to me, then I wouldn't have eaten it. So it's her fault. And what did, what did Eve do? Did she take responsibility fully? She pointed it to the serpent, right? We, we have a tendency to shift the blame, but the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us to, to what I, I would call give us eye transplants, take out our sinful eyes to do as the song we've been singing earlier says. He changes what we see. We don't see sin as delightful and joyful and pleasurable anymore, do we? Maybe we start out that way as sinners, right? Like the prodigal son. And we see sin as something that's a great party that we want to live it up. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and he convicts you regarding your sin, you don't see sin as a great party. Rather, you see it as eating pig slop, which is what the prodigal son came to see it as, right? Luke 15. The Bible says when he came to himself, when he came under conviction regarding his sin, he said, this isn't great, this is awful. 
My father has servants that live better than this. The Holy Spirit convicts sinners, and I'm so glad he does because, listen, I I want to be made to feel guilty if I'm guilty. Imagine. Imagine a doctor who does nothing but give good news to people no matter what their condition is. You come before this doctor and you have cancer and he sees it plain as day and rather than tell you about it, he says, peace, peace, when there is no peace. He says, health, health, everything is fine. All the while, you're dying of a deadly disease. Would you call that a good doctor? And yet, so many of us would rather someone tell us a sweet lie than the bitter truth. The Spirit convicts us of our sin, and I'm glad he does because he leads us from the darkness to the light. He helps us to see the sin is awful. It's enslaving. It'll destroy you. And so we turn from it. He doesn't just convict us of sin. He converts us to Christ. And so think of those same eye transplants that I talked about. He, he changes the way we see Jesus so that we trust him for salvation. You remember this thief on the cross. Two thieves, actually. Both mocking Jesus at first, but then one had a change of heart. Do you recall this? He says to his partner, you're mocking Jesus. Why are you doing that? This man is, deserves, he doesn't deserve this. He hasn't sinned, but we have. In an instant, as this man is on the cross, the Holy Spirit is doing a work such that he sees Jesus not as someone to be mocked, but as someone to be followed and worshiped. He says to Jesus, Jesus, when you, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. That's conversion. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to change the way we see Christ such that we trust him and call upon him for salvation. And if you're here today and you have done that, praise God, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. There is no salvation without it. And this conversion is what Jesus described in John chapter three when he was talking to Nicodemus. He says in John chapter three, verses seven and eight, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He breathes life into our dead souls and we live, praise God. Secondly, the helper reveals and guides into all truth. The helper reveals and guides into all truth. Look at John 16, verse 13. The Bible says there, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. One of the most common questions I get as a pastor in ministry is, uh, um, help me understand God's will for my life. Have you ever asked that question of someone before? I, I want to know God's will. I don't know God's will. Man, please help me understand God's will. And the whole time they're asking me, I'm just like, you know, do you have one of these? Have you opened one of these? It's a pretty thick book. If you read this, I promise you, you'll know the will of God for your life. The Bible says that all scripture 
is breathed out by God. Theopneustos, God breath to us, the spirit. And it's profitable for us, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we will be competent and equipped for every good work. Usually when people ask me God's will for their life, they wanna know how to do a good work. Scripture will teach you how to do that. Isn't this what the Bible says in Micah chapter six? He has told you what is good, O man. You know the will of God. What does God require of you? But to love kindness and do justice and walk humbly with your God, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second that's like unto it, love your neighbors, yourself. We know what scripture teaches us to do. No, we need to read it and meditate on it. And God will guide us by his truth. He reveals to us the product of scripture is from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 that holy men of God, they spoke from God as the Holy Spirit carried them along. 2 Peter chapter 1. And so the scripture is God's will for us. But I, I know what people mean. They mean specifically, should I take this job or not? Should I go to this school or that school? Should I move to this city or not? The Spirit guides us into all truth. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing that you've received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. I'm saying that with the Bible in your hand and the Spirit of God in your heart, you have everything you need to make decisions in the will of God that please God. You don't need a pastor to guide you and tell you to turn left, now walk three paces and then turn right and then say yes, say no. No one ever asked me to do that. But with the Bible and with the Spirit, you have everything you need to make decisions that will honor God, that will be good for your future, that will please the Lord, that will advance his kingdom. But then someone may say, yes, but I know I have the spirit and I know I have the word, but it's still difficult to know what to do. One final ministry, a tangible ministry of the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth is what we're doing right now, the local church. This is why I invited you to go to connect groups and growth groups and be involved in the ministry of the local church. The Holy Spirit fills the church such that the church ministry guides you into all the truth. This is what happened with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight. Let's look at it together. <clears throat> Verses 29 and following. The Bible says that the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Look at his response in verse 31. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? That verb, guides, is the same verb that Jesus has used here. 
in John chapter 16 to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all the truth. And isn't it interesting to you? It is to me that Philip is led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, to go to an Ethiopian who does not know the truth and guide him into all the truth. This is very natural. This is not a ecstatic expression of the Holy Spirit. It's subtle, but it's very biblical. And look at what happens in verse 34 and 35. The eunuch said to Philip, they've been reading scripture. They've been reading Isaiah 53. And he said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What if more Christians who are filled with the spirit opened their mouth and told people who Jesus was. What if you allowed yourself to be an instrument? The Bible says that the Spirit will guide us into all the truth. What if you allowed yourself to be an instrument to guide somebody into the truth of God's word? We can do this as we share our faith with with people who don't know the Lord. We can do this in small groups where we're sitting around a table. I sat around a table this morning with a few believers and we just talked about the truth of God and how we could apply it to our lives. Guiding, guiding. This is why you need the local church because here's the thing, you're not going to become like Christ as we'll talk about in just a moment without other believers helping you along the way. And so this ministry of revealing the truth, guiding us into all the truth is the work of the helper. And then third and finally, the helper shapes us and glorifies Christ. All throughout scripture, you read this idea of the word sanctification, this becoming like Christ process. After we're born again, we talked about conviction and conversion, and we grow through the revelation of the truth, the whole way the spirit is doing something to us that I like to liken to Plato. Y'all ever, y'all ever play with Plato? No, I'm giving some like, what's that? So there's like this dough stuff that you can kind of shape as a child into various things. And then you kind of rub it and it goes back and you make something else. But that imagery is what I want to put into your mind as to kind of what the Holy Spirit is doing to us and, and making us like Christ. He's, he's working on us. And he can only do that because he's already taken out a heart of stone. The Bible will talk about him removing a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh of, that we're, we're responsive to him and we're shaped into his image and, and, and we're able to be moved by the Spirit. That's the process of sanctification, what we call at Hillcrest, becoming like Christ. And so you need other believers that are gonna frankly, if I'm just being honest, sin against you and offend you so that you can forgive them. And you need other people to forgive you when you sin against them in the local church. All of that is shaping you into the image of Christ. This is what Paul is talking about when he says in Galatians 4, verse 19, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. We labor to help people in becoming like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. He shapes us and lastly, he 
glorifies Christ. Look at the final words that Jesus gives about the Holy Spirit before he goes to the cross. John 16, verses 14 and 15, he says these words. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Perhaps the most beautiful thing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he takes the treasures that belong to Christ and he gives it to us as our inheritance. Chief among those is the character of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This character, which is Christ, he gives it to us such that we are in the image of Christ. You can't be any of those things without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we're right back where we started today. Can I just remind you, you need the helper. Please don't try to go through this Christian life without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he's in you. To have the Holy Spirit in you is advantageous. It's better than having Christ beside you. And he will convict you and convert you. He will guide you into all the truth, the Bible says. And he will shape you into the very image of Christ, all for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Do you? Amen. This is God's word. Let all who agree say amen.